Morning, church and friends. Welcome to uh, church this morning. Those of you online as well, glad to be with you or to be invited into where you're watching this service this morning. We are in the fifth message of this series introduced by that video, Rise and Fall. In the early chapters of Genesis, this message this morning, we're going to be, as I say, the fifth, I think, fifth message, but the fourth chapter in the Bible, if, or the, the, the message of Genesis, the book of Genesis. So you have a copy of the Bible, we'll get there in a second. It's a famous story. Probably most of you could tell it, uh, even if you haven't been a churchgoer. It's the story of Cain and Abel, <clears throat> the first uh, family, so to speak. But the, um, I would say this to you, it's also, if you've been a part of this series, it's, it's also a human origins story. We're still in origins, okay? I think the Bible is using these open chapters to say something fundamental, not only about what God created, uh, but why he created it. But this time, the, the human origin story is not inside God's perfect world, that is, you know, the Garden of Eden, so to speak, but it's outside in man's broken one, okay, where you and I live. Let me say something that's probably obvious to you. Your very best day, right? My very best day, whatever that was. The world's very best day, whatever that was, um, is a far cry from what God intended it to be, right? That's why we have Genesis 1 and 2. The story of these two brothers, familiar story, Cain and Abel, is really our story. Do I believe that these were uh, real people? I do. But there's something more than that here. They're an archetype. They are our story. What is that? We live in a world where sin is a constant struggle, okay, for every single human being. Second, it's a world where the faith is a daily choice, right? Faith is something that I wake up today, you wake up today and tomorrow as a follower of Jesus, if that's who you are. Um, you have to make a choice to engage your faith. So it's not like you get in a car, it just takes you down the road. You have to engage it. And third, life in this world, we deal with a God, interact with a God who often is mysterious to us, right? We don't, we don't um, walk with God in the cool of the day, to use the Genesis metaphor of Genesis chapter three. A God who's often mysterious to us, but it is a God to whom we must give account, okay? This is the world that we live in. Genesis four, we'll read the first 16 verses in a message titled, Life East of Eden. Life East of Eden. Follow along as I read these verses. Genesis 4, verse 1. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to her brother Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought forth some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? What is your, why is your face downcast? If you do not do what is right or if you do what is right, 
Will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what, you have, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which will opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land that I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. First thing this passage tells us about life in this world, right, east of Eden, is that it is unfair, right? Or it often we experience it as unfair. It's why Genesis 1 and 2 partly is there, right? Because otherwise you'd think, well, what was God thinking? Was he half asleep when he made the world, you know? No, that's not the way that you and I, on your very best day, on my very best day, life is not the way God designed it. Life is unfair very often in this world. This opens, this passage, famous passage, with a um, worship service of a kind, right? We, we're not told everything that happens, but clearly this couple, uh, this family, had a worship life. And, and, you know, the chapter one doesn't mean one day and chapter two means day two and chapter three means day three and chapter four, you know. I mean, there's a lot that doesn't talked about and, and apparently they had a worship experience. They had some kind of worship. In fact, what happens here in the first couple of verses, what we'll call this produce offering, right? Cain brings uh, the fruit of the ground, Abel from the fat of his, uh, he's apparently, uh, uh, you know, works with animals. They bring the very best to God. And this little uh, example here becomes central to the covenant in the book of Deuteronomy. It's called the produce offering. And what's the purpose of the produce offering? It's the same thing that you and I do today. We, in this manner of speaking, with our gifts and our money, so to speak, we bring to God our very best. But the purpose is, it's not a quid pro quo. We're not paying God for his services. We're not paying God for his grace. It wouldn't make any sense. It's an offering of gratitude. That's what the produce offering is that you see here. For all that God has given, you're giving something to God. I'm giving God, saying, God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for provision. It's done out of gratitude. So far, so good. Yet... For a reason, no reason given in this passage, right? This is where everything goes haywire. One offer is, uh, is favored. God looks with favor. It's what we all want to experience, right? Uh, well, good job. We're like, well done. But to Cain, God says not so much, right? Now, let me say something. Life is unfair. The New Testament, there are a couple of verses, some of you know this perhaps, that make some meaning out of this. In other words, they ascribe motives, right? And that's okay, you know, more power to those writers in the New Testament. But the people, I want you first, as I've said to you guys before, think about what this meant to the people who first received it 
And what does this story say to you and me about why it's here? And I would say this to you, that it says to us, life is unfair, right? Whether it's in our relationship with God or with people, we often don't experience things as we thought we should, right? All of us have some version of this, even if you're a teenager in this room today, right? For no apparent reason, you know, you don't get the job, you don't get the girl, you don't get the, you know, the, the, the callback, you don't get the acceptance letter, you don't get the invitation, I remember when I was, um, my, I've only had two, you know, post, um, per, you know, uh, seminary jobs. One in, in Texas as, a, as an associate pastor in here. It's my whole career, okay? When I got that job, some of you may know this, remember this experience in your own life if you've been there or you'll get there. You know, when you get your, I finished graduate school. Uh, John, maybe you remember this from your first hospital job. When I got my first big man, boy, job, you know, and it was very exciting, and I got this offer to work at this nice church, and, and um, this, the church that I worked at in Dallas had a, um, you know, it was this campus, three buildings, and in the middle of those buildings, there was this beautiful courtyard, kind of a water feature, and, and, and the, my uh, new pastor and, and, and these other uh, friends, they said to me, listen, um, Rob, here's a series of offices, you can just pick one. What if you're one, you know, of one of these two or three, four offices? So I picked this office. It was on the inside of one of these buildings. All gla- almost the whole wall, the wall was glass, and it overlooked this sort of water feature. I'm thinking, wow, I got this new job, this really cool city, right? I got this awesome Saturday, Sunday. I'm ready to move in on Monday. So I get there. I hadn't moved in, and, and uh, the executive pastor sends me on. says, I have a quick conversation with you. This conversation we had lasted five minutes. Just want to let you know that that office... Um, you know, Bill, he was the pastor, he gave it to somebody else. And there, you can have this office across the hall. And the, co- the office across the hall that I did have for that season, um, not only did it not have a single window in it at all, okay, it was facing a different part of the uh, campus, um, you had to kind of walk through a kind of, I wouldn't say a storage room, but this other room to get there. I can, even now telling this story, or at least when I was thinking about it, I was so angry, okay? I mean, it was almost an out-of-body experience. And I can say to you, I was not very proud of, what, of how I responded. Fortunately, I, I got over it. But this, see, that's what's happening to Cain here. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. He didn't say anything about why. So Cain was, ready, angry, downcast, which is a fancy Bible word of saying depressed, angry, downcast, and ready to pick a fight, right? A little more than that even, right? Ready to pick a fight. When I was, um, you know, thinking about this, something came to mind. It's one of the longest living ads, okay, in the Mad Men era. Those of you who remember the Mad Men era in advertising, that television show, Mad, means Madison Avenue, okay? One of the longest uh, living ads in the Mad Men era was a cigarette ad, okay, which they haven't had those for ever, but a cigarette ad on the Terryton cigarettes, and this is what it was. I'd rather switch than fight. I don't know if any of you remember that, uh, but it was a pictures of all these people, you know, uh, men and women with a black eye, right, and a smile on their face, and the ad, this went on for almost 15 years, I'd rather switch than fight, okay? That's what's going on with Cain, right? What? 
I'd rather switch. I'd rather fight than switch. Thank you. Well, who knows what that little Freudian slip. Okay. I'd rather fight than switch. Now, this is what's going on with Cain in this passage. What's the point? Life in this world is unfair. And how you choose to respond to the disappointment will determine the quality of your life and the quality of your faith. Why do I say that? There's no, there's no talk in, not only in Genesis, but even in the Old Testament. There's very little talk of heaven and hell. Okay, Those are New Testament concepts. What this passage is talking about, much of the Old Testament, is talking about the quality of your life and the quality of your faith. And I think what Moses wants to tell us, what God wants to tell us in life outside of Eden is that that is many cases it's unfair. And you are going to experience things from as small as, you know, not getting the call back to maybe, you know, you're not getting the chair you wanted. Maybe you didn't get the position you wanted to something much more significant. And the question is, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with your anger? What are you going to do with your depression? How are you and I going to respond? Because it's coming. Life east of Eden. One of the, probably the greatest presidential historians in our day living is, is a woman named Doris Kearns Goodwin. And she's written a number of books. And one of her latest books, or last books, is probably seven or eight years old. It's called Leadership in Turbulent Times. And she writes about five different presidents. And one of them she writes about is um, uh, Teddy Roosevelt. And one of the big things she talks about in this book is resilience. And what is resilience? It's the capacity to recover from difficulty. The capacity to, to recover from difficulty. She said, this is one of the great characteristics of leaders. And she says this in all five of the presidents. She tells the story of Teddy Roosevelt. Some of you know some of his story, okay? Teddy Roosevelt, if there was ever someone who epitomized the silver spoon, it was Teddy Roosevelt. Grew up on the Upper West Side. His mother was a, was a, was a socialite. I think through his father, it might have gone all the way back to the Mayflower. I mean, this guy was the epitome of what we today call elite. And as a young man, he had planned. This was written in his life. He was the kind of guy before he was even 20 years old said, listen, this is what my life's gonna look like. I'm gonna be a, a, a legislator. Then I'm gonna be a, a state senator. I'm gonna be a congressman. I'm gonna be a senator. I'm gonna be a vice president. I'm gonna be a president. This is what I wanna do. And at 23, he was elected to the New York State Senate and he was in Albany three years later, 26, doing his job on his way to accomplish the life that he had laid out for himself. And he got a telegram and the telegram said, Theodore, you must um, please come home. Your, your wife um, is about to give birth to their first daughter and it's happening, you need to come home. So as he's extracting himself from his work, not long after he gets a second telegram. He says, listen, you need to drop everything and come home right now because your mother, who had come to New York to help with the birth of the child, she's contracted typhoid fever and she's not doing so well. He got on his whatever, probably his horse, <laughs> made his way down to New York City and by the time he got there, they were both okay, but his mother, within a few hours, died from typhoid fever. She was 49 years old. And a few hours later, his wife died 
in childbirth. He was 26 years old. There's a famous um, journal entry. He wrote, February 14th, Valentine's Day, 1884. The light has gone out of my life. After the birth of this child, he gave this young girl to his sister and he left for the badlands of South Dakota and spent the next two years in grief. And when he finally came back to New York City in 1886, he didn't get back into politics. He decided to get into the police force. And they said, why? And he said, because I realized in this experience that your whole life can be taken in a moment. And I didn't know if the next job I had would be the last job I have. And I want to do something right now that I can do to use the talents that I have. Okay? How you choose to respond to the disappointments will determine the quality of your life and of your faith. Right? Life east of Eden is unfair. Second, life east of Eden is an adventure of faith, okay? It's an adventure. The struggle of these brothers is backdrop, it's backstory. The central action, I would suggest to you, friends, of Genesis 4 is the relationship between Cain and God, okay? By the way, Cain's name, if you read this short story, is mentioned 14 times. It's a hint. You know, what's this story about Cain? <laughs> Where do I find the application? Cain, but I want to be able. Too bad, <laughs> okay, you're not. Okay, it's really about Cain and God. And the real issue is, what will you decide to do, Cain, with your depression? What will you decide to do, Cain, with your anger, right? God in this passage doesn't order Cain around. He doesn't corner Cain. He doesn't order you around. He doesn't order me around. He doesn't corner you. That's not how God works. But let me tell you how he does work. He asks questions, right? You ever get any of those? You read this? He asks questions, and he tries to get Cain to think. He says, why are you angry? Do you know why? Why are you depressed? Do you know why? He asks questions, and he wants to say this. Cain, I want you to think about something. The reason Genesis 1 and 2 are in the Bible, Cain, the reason George, Genesis 1 and 2 are in the Bible, I'll tell you why. Because it wants to tell you something. The best day that you will ever live, the best day the world will ever have, is not the way God intended it. Life is unfair. And in the life in the world that you and I live in, the struggle is real. And the power of sin is strong. Right? What a metaphor. It's a crouching tiger at your door desiring to have you, right? It's not about, you know, uh, uh, you know, showing up late to the party. It's not about, you know, you forgot to pay the full bill. Sin is a crouching animal hiding, ready to ambush your life. That's what he's trying to say. This is the world that we live in, Cain. But you have a choice, Rob, you, me, you have a choice to live a different kind of life. That's what he's trying to say here. You don't have to give in. You don't have to be overtaken. But see, here's the challenge for all of us. Because a lot of us say in our unfairness, 
you know. Uh, you know, my dad died when I was young, my story, you know, you know, uh, uh, we didn't have this, we didn't have that. We want to say, listen, the world is against me. I can't help myself. You don't know the family I grew up in. Listen, you can choose to live your life in the critic's chair, okay? A lot of people do. You can choose to live life on the sidelines in moan and bemoan why you didn't get what other people got. Or, but let me say if you do that, if I do that, in the end, this is what this passage tells us, you will have no one to blame other than yourself for the fruitless wandering that is your life. Okay? Verse 16, so Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod. You know what the Hebrew is for the word nod, wandering. (laughs) You'll have no one to blame except yourself for the fruitless wandering that is your life. That's what Genesis 4 is about. Now, back to Teddy Roosevelt. You know, he did become the president of the United States. Okay? One of the greatest, some people would say. But it wasn't the path that he laid out when he was a 20-year-old man. In fact, when he came back to New York, as I said, he, he joined the police force. He became the police commissioner, okay? Okay, now, he did something very interesting, uh, Doris Kearns uh, Goodwin says. He did what we kind of call today, I guess there's a popular show called Undercover Boss, right? <laughs> you watch it. This is what he did. Teddy Roosevelt, who grew up on the, not only on the Upper West Side, but, you know, probably on the seventh floor for most of it, okay? That's the kind, went to Harvard, this is the kind of guy he was. But in those years, as the police commissioner, he would dress up in a disguise, okay? And he would go and walk the streets of New York. They, had, they have newspaper articles, you can see them. I mean, you know, uh, cartoons from the New York Post, whatever, New York Times. He would go around because he wanted to see in disguise, what it was like to live on the streets of New York, what it was like to be a police officer on the streets of New York. And this is something he said later as the President of the United States, an insight that he learned through his resilience. If people of different sections or religions or races start seeing each other as the other instead of common American citizens, democracy will Break. Isn't that an interesting insight? He said, if people of different sections or religions, I'm sure he's speaking of himself, start seeing each other as the other, right? Instead of common American citizens, right? Whatever their race, creed, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Democracy will break. Central to the adventure of faith. What's my point? That you and I are invited into is learning to love and to live with each other, okay? What's the right answer to the ninth verse? Am I my brother's keeper? Of course you are your brother and sister's keeper. Listen, that's the point. One of the points of the, people have said to me a lot over the last six months, eight months, pastor, Are we doing enough? Talking about the racial tensions in our society. Are we doing enough? Shouldn't we be doing more? 
Let me tell you some of what we're doing, okay? This isn't a transactional kind of experience, but just because we don't talk a lot. We're barely together in this coronavirus, okay? Uh, most of you aren't even here this morning in a, in a typical Sunday morning. I'm in a, a pastor's cohort with about 20 pastors across this country, led by a guy who's written some books on this issue of racial uh, inequity and dealing with it as a church, as a Christian, and uh, learning and growing from some of the best. Our board, a subset of our elder board, has been working on this, reading books, praying, thinking, talking uh, to people of color and, and not around this, in this congregation outside of it. And some of these ideas, some of these things we're thinking about, we're trying to, you're, they're gonna bleed into the life of this church in the days to come. But let me say this, the more that we need to do, Pastor, do we need to do more? Yes, we do need to do more. But it's not, the, the we isn't your elder board, okay? The we is us. Because the work, the real work we need to do here is not simply make a statement or say a prayer. The real work is discipleship, okay? It's thinking through one individual, one small group, one family at a time. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus when it comes to racial inequities? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus and respond differently to what's happening in our society today? And let me say this, guys. Um, uh, there's other things happening too, right? Already. I got an email just this week from a, a, a woman in our church who reached out to a woman at Roger Breedlove's church, the black pastor we had here a month or two ago. And they're starting a study together. It's organic, okay? It's discipleship. But let me say this. The problem Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my sister's keeper? Is not a black and white problem. The black and white problem is simply an ugly expression, an, an ugly, maybe American to some degree, expression of the problem, right? The problem is about putting other people, of the interests of other people. Listen, guess where it starts? Genesis 2. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, right? Because life is unfair even in marriage. It starts with putting the interests of other people before your own, whatever their faith background, Christian or not, whatever the color of their skin. Listen, whatever their politics are, Okay? It's putting them ahead of your own. Philippians chapter two. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. You say, really? That's what this is about? I mean, husbands and wives and and, and neighbors and friends and I don't like these people and they're not my kind and this guy or girl is a jerk and, and they don't have my background? Absolutely yes. You say, Rob, if, if that's really what the Bible says, that's incredibly hard work. It almost, it's almost impossible. Well, let me say this. It's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Okay? And it's the part of the point See, some people say to me and to you, why didn't God just take us all home? You know, save you one day, take you home the next. This is why. Because the central to the adventure of faith is that you learn, you don't learn overnight, what it means to love other people, to actually 
be your brother and sister's keeper, even brothers and sisters that you don't like. Okay? This is the adventure of faith. Finally, life east of Eden, right? Life in a fallen world. It's full of grace. Don't miss this, guys. Don't miss this. This is so beautiful and why this, why this is here, why this is an origins story. See, if someone said to you, what's the story of Cain and Abel about? You might say murder. It's not about murder. That happens very quickly in this passage. It's about Cain and God in a wrestling match to do what is right. And Cain stands for you and he stands for me. See, I'm not a murderer. You know what Jesus called murder in Matthew chapter five, the fifth commandment? If you have anger in your heart towards your brother or sister, you've broken the fifth commandment. Jesus says, guys, let me tell you what the fifth commandment's really about. It's about Genesis chapter four, verse five. Cain was angry. He didn't get his office. (laughs) He was depressed. And he wanted to pick a fight. I'd rather fight than switch. Did I get that right? Okay. But let me say something about this. Don't miss this. I've said to you guys before, you know this, the Bible is a beautiful document written with such care and and grace and beauty. And meaning, if you take the time, turn off the CNN, whatever. I mean, it's, it's it's so much baloney out there. I mean, waste of time. You know what Cain means? In the Bible, the names have meanings, not so much in our case. You know, we don't do that. We don't know the derivation of, you know, what our, the name, we name our kids necessarily, or even your own name, if there is such a thing. But the Bible's full of that because it's, it's preaching. Everything's a message in the Bible in a manner of speaking, right? And the word Cain, the name Cain means to get or to create. And look what she says. With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. You can just see Eve with this, you know, I've brought forth a man, which in this culture, men were more important than women. Firstborn men, everything. If you were the firstborn and you were a male, oh my goodness, you got twice of the inheritance, right? Prodigal son, Luke 15. You got the fancy scholarship. You got the expensive wedding in a manner of speaking. You got it all. To the, uh, uh, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Now watch verse two, this is on purpose. Later she gave birth to the brother Abel. <laughs> you know, in other words, that old guy, that, you, know. you know. The word Cain means to get to create. This guy was born for greatness. Now, you know what the word Abel means? Hebrew, in Hebrew. Vapor, nothingness, unimportant. Okay? But now, you're saying, did she dislike the kid? No, I think, the, I think the God's making a point to us, Right? Because this is the story of God's grace and it begins right here. Why? Because what this story is, is this. Who's the, who's the main actor in this story? It's not Abel, it's Cain. And the story says this. God goes after sinners, even the self-righteous and the unrepentant and the excuse-making ones like Cain. Am I my brother's keeper? Right After he finds out that God says to him, your brother's blood cries from me to the ground. So maybe he didn't know. Now he knows. God knows everything. Oops. You know? Well, at least you might go, well, okay, I'm sorry. And, God, and throw yourself at the mercy of God. Am I my brother's keeper? Right? Not only is he unrepentant. Not only is he self-righteous. 
He's the most excuse-making guy I've ever. Cain said, my punishment is more than I can bear. You know, verse 13. Today you're dry. Oh my goodness. You ever know anybody like this guy? You know, Uncle Fred or something? You know, I, you, I don't deserve this. So I killed my brother. You know, this punishment is more than I can bear. Watch this, verse 15. This is for you guys, for me. But the Lord said to him, when he said, if I go out into the world, people, it's a small community here, they're gonna know what I did and they're going to um, kill me. I was talking to this friend of mine recently who, who had spent some time in prison and he, I was asking him just about life in prison. You know, what is it like? And he said, this is a sort of an irony. If you're, if you're known, let's say you're, if you rob a bank, it's well, one thing. If you committed rape or something worse, you're known in prison and you're targeted. You know what I mean? Like, in other words, they target some of the more heinous crimes, even though everyone's a criminal, more or less, in prison, and you might, and they attack you. Isn't that something? And so Cain says, listen, um, if I go out into the world, people find out I killed my brother. Now it's public knowledge. He said, they're gonna kill me, and the Lord says, no, they won't, because I'm gonna put a mark on you. And people are going to know that you belong to me. And nobody's going to lay a hand on you. Isn't that unbelievable? Now listen, guys. If that's true for Cain, who was a, who was a, a resistant, excuse-making um, person, how much more is it true for you and me who've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb? Hebrews chapter 12 uses the, makes reference to Genesis 4. You have come to God the writer saying to his friends in this church, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. That's a fancy Bible way of saying, listen. God's blood, or excuse me, Abel's blood in a manner of speaking cried out to God for justice. That's what God said to Cain. And he's saying, how much more does the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ cry out to God every day and say, Ken Kennedy, he's my son. Do not touch him. CJ, he's my son. Do not touch him. Gary, he's my son. George, he's my son. Abigail, she's my Do not touch them. They belong to me. Okay? The grace it's full of grace. Yes. Is life unfair? Yes, it is. But it's an adventure of faith. And you are not fated to some um, ho-hum thing. You're not, um, you know, the sum of all your bad parts. Cain, why are you so depressed? Why are you so angry? If you do what's right, will you not be accepted? Let's join arms and let's do something together because the because God's grace is rich. Every you know Hebrews twelve. Let every let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. Let me say this, friends. Wherever you are in your unfairness, right? We all have it. Let me say this. You the grace of God is available to you every second of every single day that's what genesis 4 is telling us every second of every single day you can say god help me give me strength 
help me to go forward in this situation in my life. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for these uh, minutes this morning. I thank you for the opportunity to look into the, um, the beauty of this story and this account of life east of Eden. And Lord, I'd pray for myself and for everyone in this room as we all grapple with the questions that we have about living life in a world that's out of sorts, in a world that things are not even, in in a world where things are not um, clear, in a world where things are not fair, in a world full of disappointments and unsafe things, as Colin said. We come to you, Father, and ask for your words, that you would speak words to us, that we would hear your questions and we would respond to your grace, that we might find help in time of need in our lives, that we might not be victims of our circumstances, but might be sons and daughters of the living God. And Lord, I do pray also for us as a church, as we think about this world that you've not left us in, but you've sent us to and in, (laughs) that we might show the world another way, that we might say in a world that's, um, you know, uh, people are going to their corners and and identifying their, you know, uh, hurts or their wants, we might be people who say, how can I help? We might say, it's not about me, it's about you. How can we be our brother and sister's keepers in a world, Lord, of takers? Help us to be your sons and daughters, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.